Russia shows it is not only a terrorist state, but it is a nuclear terrorist state. It has taken uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the biggest in Europe, as a hostage of its military action in Ukraine. Hello and welcome to the Explaining Ukraine podcast, a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. So we are talking today about the major events and trends over the past week, the week from the 8th of August until the 13th of August. We will talk about the major events in this war, in this Russian invasion. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash Ukraine world. We're spending the majority of your support to help people affected by this war in our volunteer trips. So Tanya, what were the key events uh, in this war and in Ukraine during this week? Well, maybe let's start with this situation on the Zaporizhia nuclear plant, because maybe the most uh, challenging one for Ukraine, and not only for Ukraine, but for the whole continent. During this week, we've seen many shelling um, close to this plant, in fact, uh, inside this plant, not uh, exactly the plant, but the administrative buildings. And we've also observed Russia accusing Ukraine of this shelling. And we understand that, and we also observe this kind of uh, chantage coming from Russia, say, stating that uh, uh, if you counterattack, we, we should understand that in the context when uh, Ukrainian army um, is starting its counteroffensive in the south, and the Russians, they try their best to keep the south, and they are using this plant in order to keep Ukrainians out. And let's locate. Let's locate where this nuclear pl plant is. It's not very far from Zaporizhia, one of the big Ukrainian industrial cities. It's rather to the south, uh, so it is really part of the southern Ukraine. It's on the bank of the Dnipro River, and it is uh, near the actually in the town called Energodar, Energodar yeah. which we can translate into English as the gift of energy. So and uh, and let's explain that this uh, nuclear plant was seized by Russians in the beginning of March, uh, maybe during the first week of uh, their full-scale invasion. If you look at Energodar as a city, you will understand that this city was uh, formed, was founded around this uh, plant. The population before the war was around fifty thousand people. Mm, and at that very moment, there are around 20,000 people because a lot of people were trying to flee the city because it was occupied. But at the same time, just to imagine how big this plant is, just imagine 11,000 people are uh, working at this station. So now uh, we can say that half of the population present in Energodar, they are working at the station. And the problem is that these people are taken like hostages by Russian army. Most of them are not able to leave the station, to leave the plant. They are working there. Sometimes they are going downstairs somewhere in the uh, undergrounds, but they are forced to continue their work by Russian army. And Russian army, they are already using this plant as a place for their military vehicles, 
uh, arms and all kind of uh, military stuff. So this situation is extremely dangerous, even if we do understand. So for Ukrainian army, situation is quite clear. They will not shell directly the plant because everybody understands here in Ukraine how dangerous it could be. But at the same time, there is a always a, a risk when this is a war and you can they can try for example to provoke with the shelling and let's also explain that just in face of Energadar across river across river Dnieper uh, you have a town called Nikopol and Nikopol is shelled severely for many weeks already I mean residential areas houses and the only reason of this shelling because there is no way for you for Russians to advance on Nikopol because there is a river and no bridge but the only reason for them to shell constantly this Nikopol is that they try to 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 provoke Ukrainians forces to to react to respond and then maybe to fix this Ukrainian fire and then to present it like a proof of that Ukrainians are creating this nuclear danger. Yeah, of course. And uh, Russians are blaming Ukrainians for attacking its own nuclear power plant. But uh, I mean, the question is who has taken it as a military object? Of course, Russians has taken it as a hostage, as a military object. Let's remind our listeners that this is not the first time they did with the nuclear facility. They also have done it in, in February, March with Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Chernobyl nuclear power plant, everybody knows it as a place of a huge nuclear accident uh, disaster in 1986, but it is not operational anymore. So the, the the danger was that the shells could hit, for example, underground nuclear waste storage facilities, which are still underground, under under big uh, uh, layer of concrete and uh, more or less protected. But now we are talking about the the uh, operational, the functional uh, energy station, nuclear energy station, the biggest in Europe, the second or third largest in the world. And Russians are taking it as a military object. But, and solutions. So uh, what could be a solution for that? So Ukraine is calling for um, for Magate agency to interact. I-A-E-A, it is called. Magate, it's it's in Ukrainian, International Atomic Energy, Energy uh, yeah, Agency. To, just to, to, to interfere, to help, uh, to install a kind of control over the plant. And the Russians are... Uh, not uh, give providing access even if they say they don't deny it but at least uh, an, another option uh, proposed by by Ukraine but also supported by many uh, partners of Ukraine namely for, by uh, United States is a kind of creation of uh, um, demilitarized zone around uh, the station around the plant it means that all kind of army should be out of of, of the plant uh, but at that very moment, we don't see any moves in this direction. So Russians are here, are there. They're trying to, um, to to continue their game. And at that moment, no no progress. This is why we're calling it terrorism, because it is really taking something very valuable as a hostage. They're very dangerous. And very dangerous. They're, they're taking people, but they're taking also the nuclear facility. And that's uh, that's something that we need to all understand that this is taking something as a hostage, and uh, like a, like a terrorist which takes civilians as a hostage and and says if something goes wrong, he or she will blow it up. That's that's exactly what is happening, and we've heard a statement from I think one of the Russian generals or commanders that 
and um, the Parisian nuclear power plant will be either Russian or nobody's. Uh, so uh, if, if it is not Russian, they are ready really to blow it up. And the consequences will be enormous. We, there will be much bigger consequences than Chernobyl disaster. Frankly, I don't think that they are capable, really capable to blow it up because um, it looks like it'll be the end for, for, for them as well. It's a kind of a suicide uh, behavior in a way because uh, if only, let's imagine, this explosion will take place, it will be a disaster not only for Ukraine but also for Russia. It depends on the direction of the wind, maybe for Russia, maybe for Belarus, maybe for Europe. It will be much bigger um, disaster than Chernobyl because uh, this plant is, is bigger than Chernobyl. So I frankly don't think that this is a real plan, but the real danger is that when you have military base on their nuclear plant, anything can happen because uh, they can shell. There will be ki- kind of uh, accident, so it it could be it could be really dangerous. The the whole presence, only, the only presence of military ba- military on the plant is is unacceptable. And uh, there is was one advantage of this nuclear terrorism co- compared to a typical nuclear strike. Uh, if there is a nuclear strike, everybody knows who who has made this strike. If they made make an explosion on this plant, they can again blame the Ukrainians, say that it was a Ukrainian rocket or Ukrainian shell, whatever. So they they will continue, you know, doing something and pointing at. Ukrainians uh, blaming uh, Ukrainians for, for, for doing this. And this is the, the most horrible thing in this Russian tactics, I think, since 2014. And what we call uh, the, uh, there is, uh, th- they are not there, they are not present there, or it's not us. And unfortunately, in this, uh, in this war, these tactics, you know, it is used many times. It has been used when Russians killed Ukrainian prisoners of war, killing uh, about 50 people and over 70 wounded in Olenivka recently and uh, can be can be repeated now. Mm-hmm. So to sum it up, uh, there was a Security Council of the um, um, United Nations Assembly discussing this subject uh, di- during this week. Uh, unfortunately, the conclusions were not, uh, were, were not strong at all, so they were just recommending uh, both parts to to create this demilitarized de- zone, but it doesn't oblige, in fact, Russia. And unfortunately, on the ground, we don't see any any positive development of this story. And sure, we'll be following this story during next weeks. So I think, unfortunately, we are we are witnessing the the, the weakness, the e- enormous weakness of the international institutions. We have talked about this in our previous week, weekly uh, digest when we have talked about Amnesty International. Uh, I think the problem is that the logic of these institutions is to, ha- to some extent uh, accept that the wars are inevitable, that they will happen, but to make it um, uh, in a way that the law will restrict the wars the law will make a framework for for the wars the humanitarian law the energy law etc etc but uh, to 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 look at this to to think as this as is 
means complete misunderstanding of what Russians are trying to do. Because Russians are trying to uh, not to proceed with a certain violence, which will be restricted by a certain law, but uh, to proceed with violence that will destroy this law. So it's not the law that frames the violence, creates the context for, for the violence. It's the violence that frames the law, that creates the context for, from, yeah, for, for the law. Absolutely right. And, uh, and uh, actually their tactics is to ruin the international system of rules and to say that okay we are now entering this anarchy and we will set up the new rules i think and this is something they have been pronouncing very repeatedly uh, in their talk shows and, and they want to change the rules of the game and in order to change the rules of the game they need to destroy the existing rules. Mm -hmm. That's it. So let's let's continue. So another important uh, subject during this week was uh, uh, surely now these strikes, or maybe not strikes, but at least explosions or any kind of other uh, objective cause, which caused the destruction of an air base in Novofedorivka, Novofedorivka, a village close to, to a town called Saki in Crimea, more than 200 kilometers uh, from the front line in the south. And this was something extremely surprising for everybody, for Ukrainians, but also for Russians and for the international community, because for the first time, uh, from the very beginning of this full-scale invasion, we see that something happens very uh, very um, profoundly in in Russia, but not in Russia, in but Crimea. In, in Crimea. But um, we should understand that Russia all, always presented Crimea like a sacred place and like a very secure place from their point of view. They were talking about their air defense, about all this. Uh, Crimea was highly militarized during these eight years of occupation, and it happens. And uh, we don't know exactly what happened. There are many versions of that. Some are saying about maybe missiles, uh, maybe missiles uh, arrived to this base. Maybe there was a kind of uh, explosion. Maybe some other reasons. But the problem is that that was a kind of a coincidence in time, because coincidence in time, because there were no Federivka and some other bases in Crimea which exploded the same day, like in Oleksivka and another village, and uh, Ukrainian army they didn't confirm that there was their plan or their objective. So we are still in a uh, we are still not sure what happened, but it's quite clear. And the same day, Volodymyr Zelensky made a statement saying that uh, for Ukraine, the deoccupation of Crimea is a must and the war will end with the deoccupation of Crimea. So we should interpret that in that way. And that's uh, that's very interesting, of course, when the both sides deny that it, is, it was a Ukrainian strike. Russians have been denying it from the very beginning and uh, there was this... Uh, like uh, statement, the statement by Russian propagandists, uh, and it is now has has become a meme. For example, from this notorious Margarita Simonian, the head of RT, who initially wrote on her Twitter that it was some galavatapstva, as she said, galavatapstva. It was a Kusilov, if I'm different. Not no, no, no. That's mm. that's her. Uh, it's um, different to translate, but we can translate it as a kind of. Um, 
well, not very careful uh, management of things, uh, right? Uh, and it was increasingly very interesting how Ukrainians were reacting to this because we have seen several press statements by the Ministry of Defense, by the uh, emergency service, which were extremely full of humor. I mean, I don't remember when official institutions in Ukraine or elsewhere in the world were communicating in that way. So, for example, the, the, these ministries would be saying, okay, be careful on your objects, uh, addressing Russians. So Probably... don't, don't, don't smoke in the areas when you're not allowed to. Exactly. And... Uh, and uh, similar communication was from the from the emergency uh, uh, emergencies uh, agency so it was it was a trolling so, so the ukrainian public institutions communicate in 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 the way of trolling towards russians and this is very interesting so really interesting how both sides are denying it uh, uh, and and this is kind of a very in interesting zugzwang because Russians cannot accept that the Ukrainians has have hit uh, the the bases because it will mean they are very weak, their uh, air defense system is very weak, and Ukrainians are playing on this uh, because, uh, well, as if Ukraine does not really attack Russian territory and even Crimea, which of course Ukraine considers as Ukrainian territory. And uh, there was a statement from uh, from UK uh, defense minister who who would be saying that it is perfectly legitimate for Ukraine to attack Crimea. Yeah, but what is uh, extremely important in this context that for many many times Russia, I mean Putin, but also Medvedev were underlining that Crimea is a red line. So before the war started, let's let's come back to the autumn 2021 and see how Putin. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was after his meeting with Emmanuel Macron. He was making his press conference and he was justifying justifying this, his demand, for example, for Ukraine not to enter NATO because he was stating that if imagine then Ukraine will attack military uh, in the military way, the, the, they will attack Crimea and we will have a war with NATO. So for them... Uh, the Crimea is a uh, the sacred place, uh, and do anything but don't touch Crimea. And Medvedev, former president of Russia, uh, was stating many, many times that if only you touch Crimea, you will see a disaster. You will see. He was just hinting that it will be a big, uh, big disaster in the global disaster if only Ukrainians dare to approach Crimea. But what we see, and this is extremely shocking. Ukrainians, we, can, we don't know how, but we can presume that Ukrainians hit this military base and Russia can do nothing. They just do nothing. They just don't react. They just deny that. And they there is no strike, no response. They are incapable of response. And this is something which are, I think that might change the, this war. We will see. I mean, I do not agree that there is no response. There is constant shelling of Ukrainian territories every night. Yeah, and, but this uh, is not a response. And, uh, for example, on, on the next day we have seen uh, huge shelling of uh, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast and there were over 10 people uh, died. But... Uh, uh, the after the strike, there were already satellite images published, uh, who showed that I think from uh, from seven to nine, uh, how much? Ten, ten, about ten um, 
and and edge uh, fighter jets russian uh, fighter jets were destroyed which is which is huge i mean in in one single strike you just uh, destroy 10 fighter jets and we have seen also the panic among the people in crimea among the russian tourists so among the dwellers of crimea they really uh collected all the things and tried to leave leave the peninsula through the Kerch bridge and the war uh, traffic jams not only before this Kerch bridge but uh, as as far as this, we see from the videos posted by these Crimean people uh by by Russians of course mostly uh, on telegram channels uh, the these traffic jams were from as far as Simferopol from the central Crimea as to damage caused by this strike, experts are talking about from 9 up to maybe 20, 20 jets uh, which were destroyed. But even more importantly, what we know, um, the information was published in Russian telegram channels. We cannot confirm that, but they were talking about around 60 uh, da- uh, died and uh, more than 100 were wounded. But most importantly, be, among these people, there were Russian pilots, so highly qualified military, and some 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 professionals linked to this airbase. And talking about pilot, this is very important because in order to to form a pilot, you need you need years. You cannot. Uh, just this kind of education you need years in fact so this is a huge damage to to what russia had in in crimea they still have some other air bases in crimea but it seemed that this one in novofedrivka was the most important one and they were really using these jets in order to control the air in the southern ukraine but also to bombard i mean they were sending missiles from these jets uh, to the whole territory of Ukraine. So hopefully we'll see a little bit less attacks in the coming days. We're not sure, but this uh, this damage is real. This is uh, compared to what happened with Moskva um, in, in, in April. So this is a huge um, attack on, on, on Russian reputation. And indeed, this can be kind of a psychological breakthrough for Ukrainians uh, that uh, can be attacking the key positions of Russians in occupied Crimea, in newly occupied territories, but also on Russian territory or Belarusian territory. There was also an explosion in Belarus. Uh, also, we don't know what happened. Uh, so this is kind of a fork uh, in, the, in, in the war. Ukrainians do not uh, do not confirm that they are doing this, but maybe this is continuation of the same story. This time this was uh, uh, in Zabrivka in Belarus, and yes, indeed, there were kind of explosions, uh, lightnings in the night, uh, around eight or nine explosions like that. But uh, once again, like in like in case with Crimea, there were no official confirmation from, Bela- from Lukashenko stating that Ukrainians attacked, but there was a communication coming from Ukrainian officials stating that if only uh, you are preparing some provocations, maybe for the Independence Day, for 24th of August, or, or, or you are preparing shelling or missiles, anything can happen. So it was kind of hint coming from Ukrainian side stating that, look, we are we are strong enough to get to get to your air so- base. You see what is the paradox. Uh, in Ukraine, there is a meme uh, of Lukashenko justifying that uh, 
uh, Russia and his army will uh, kind of has made a preventive strike against Ukraine. Like he will he'll be telling Putin, I will show you where the uh, Ukrainian attack was coming from. Everybody laughs on this meme. It's one of the most popular meme right now in Ukraine. But look at the paradox when ukrainians were not even thinking of attacking belarus of course everybody understands that this is this is bullshit right and uh, belarus just gi has given territory for russian troops to attack ukraine this led to attack on kiev on bucha on hostomel to uh, to war crimes to the cases of, of genocide in bucha for example etc so when ukrainians were not uh, intending to attack uh, belarusian military bases lukashenko was saying they were intending when ukrainians probably attack them yeah lukashenko is silent interesting yeah. Yeah, and what is important is the same story as with Crimea. So that's why uh, we, we might presume that maybe we are talking about about a change in this war because uh, Ukrainian army is getting stronger. We don't know exactly which warfare was used in both attacks. So if it was used or not, it was a kind of operation maybe on the ground. We don't know that. But what we uh, what we do understand is that Ukrainians are getting stronger, and it might change the the following of this war very briefly on two other news we'll talk uh, one of the news is that russians are preparing a kind of a tribunal against the ukrainian prisoners of war against people who defended azovstal against uh, our warriors from the azov battalion and it seems that they're preparing really a kind of a process, a show trial in 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 a, in a Stalinist in a Stalinist model. So you can we can we can check the show trials of uh, 1936, 1937, and if we're talking about Ukraine, it was even earlier from the 1930. It started these repressions. So Russians are preparing this, and uh, it's it goes contrary all the all the agreements brokered, but also by international institutions like the International Committee of the Red Cross, that these people taken as prisoners of war in Mariupol, they will be exchanged for Russian prisoners. We have seen that Russians have uh, killed over 50 Ukrainian prisoners of war in Olenivka with the, with the big explosion in the, in the, in the place they were uh, located. And now they seem to, uh, you know, uh, make a show trial. And I will uh, not, uh, I will not be surprised. And they, they will, for example, the occupation of the authorities of the so-called DNR and LNR will uh, decide that they will be uh, ex execute them. So the, it will be, they will decide to execute them. We don't know exactly. Yes, let's hope it will not be the case. They still have some reasons to keep these people, to exchange them or to use them is in order to change uh, um, other things. But unfortunately, what we know at that moment is that they are preparing this show for the 24th of August, so for the Independence Day here in Ukraine, and it could really spoil spoil the day for millions because for Ukrainians uh, defenders of Azovstal are heroes without any exaggeration and it's, it was extremely painful for Ukrainians to see how cynically Russia killed uh, 53 defenders of Azovstal in Olenivka and if they continue to do so with, with others I, I mean making this show you know they will be placed in cages in cages 
in in this Philharmonic in Mariupol. So it'll be a kind of an absurd um, show for for people who who would think that they are Nazis, they are radicals. I don't know exactly what what will be. The, we we do know what the narrative will be. They will be accusing them of being unhuman, of being Nazis, which is completely not true. But it, I would say, it will be very painful for for Ukraine to observe that. And unfortunately, um, there are not a lot of possibilities for Ukraine to to stop that, because uh, Ukraine does not have any access to Mariupol. There will be no room for any kind of special operation. And unfortunately, once again, Russia will use that to to maintain this psychological pressure on Ukrainian authorities, on Ukrainian government, on Ukrainian president and on Ukrainian people. Yes, and of course there will be, uh, we can expect lots of humiliation, and the crazy crowd that they will, uh, they will uh, spit on people. And uh, and yes, as you said, say they are Nazis and fascists and whatever else. And unfortunately, all we know about uh, Russian captivities in the southern Ukraine that people really suffer from tortures and from deportations, from filtration camps. This is all reality in the 21st century. Uh, I refer, let me refer to an analysis made by, uh, we have made several times on our website, Ukraine World, about the situation in the South. For example, our recent interview with Maria Tomak, a Ukrainian human rights defender. So the last thing is the discussion about the visas for Russians. And uh, that's a very interesting discussion because the, the question arises, okay, uh, Russians, there is, Russians cannot fly to Europe, although there is visa that restores the flights, seems to restore the flight. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, Russians can enter Europe, uh, European Union, and uh, sometimes they, they organize provocations. And interestingly, uh, there was a recent statement by Mr. Medvedev that you mentioned, uh, who is now notorious for his crazy statements. And uh, one of it was on his Telegram channel, is that, yeah, again, coming back to this uh, uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Enerhodar, and he would be saying that Ukrainians are shelling this power plant, uh, but uh, uh, Ukrainians are saying that this is contingencies. And Medvedev continues, well, EU should think about EU-based nuclear power plants because there can be some contingencies there as well. Yeah. So this was a, a clear threat of a kind of a nuclear terrorism that Russian citizens can do um, in the EU, EU countries. So the question is that, and, and we have seen this Russian terrorism, terrorist attacks in, uh, in Salisbury, in Czech Republic, and these people entered the European U Union on tourist visas. Yes, yes, indeed. But there is also another aspect of that. Uh, so at that very moment, uh, more than 10 European countries have uh, have already introduced this ban for visas, for tourist visas at least. Uh, first of all, Baltic countries, um, some, some other countries, North, Northern countries, some countries like, for example, Germany, 
there was a statement of Olaf Scholz stating that uh, we will not do that because for us this is a Putin's war, this is not Russia's war. And immediately there was a response from Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs stating that look at the sociology polls and uh, just see that uh, almost 80% of Russians support the war. So this is an aspect of uh, security for for um, Europeans and it's not a surprise why Baltic states started this story because uh, most of Russians, they enter, because there is no no flights, almost no flight, they are entering Europe through Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, etc. So um, another aspect, it is about uh, a collective responsibility. How uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, stated yesterday, that Europe is not a supermarket where everybody can come and everybody is accepted if he pays. So if Russians are able to pay, I don't know, in Paris, in Berlin or in Rome, it doesn't mean that we will let them in because um, this is about the responsibility of the whole people, Russians as a people, uh, for what is going on. Because during 20 years of Putin in power, they had, they still had time to do something with that. And uh, this is not just to make only Ukrainians pay this horrible price for this uh, uh, Putin's madness. So in a way, there will be some restrictions for the people, I mean, for Russian people, unfortunately, but also for those who don't support war. But this is a way to push them to action because Europeans are suffering from this war with sanctions. Americans are suffering with this war. Everybody, Ukrainians, first of all, are suffering from this war. Nobody in Russia can say, I I have nothing to do with that. This is not my fault. I'm against the war, so I'm not responsible. Why couldn't I, I still travel in Europe as I did before? Uh, So this is about... we. Once again, we are touching the sensitive point of collective responsibility for this war, and this visas restriction can be analyzed in this context as well. Yes, of course, we we should. Uh, we are not the bloody thirsty people, and uh, we understand that, for example, in Russia, the climate, the political climate, is is becoming horrible. So, it should not be as in Soviet Union when you basically cannot leave the country and if you are human rights activist you you are basically you are just condemned to die in the camps and uh, i think the, the 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 approach should be very smart uh, so tourist visa yes they should be restricted and uh, there should be cases when for example uh, for social reasons for health reasons people are allowed of course to enter European Union with Russian passports, but there should be some action because indeed this is not Putin's war. This is a war widely supported by the Russian society. Not everybody is guilty, of course. Uh, uh, there are people who are very brave in Russia and try to uh, try to oppose it and and help Ukrainians and and do what what they can. Uh, but uh, there is a certain certain big support unfortunately for this war and uh, there should be also instruments to change it and this can be one of the instruments to change it to make ordinary russian feel that it is simply this war is not in his or her interest for example right 
So uh, this was our analysis of this week. Uh, this was a podcast explaining Ukraine, a product by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who works for Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your support to help people affected by this war, to do our volunteer trips to the villages destroyed by this war, to towns, to cities, and to the front line. Uh, you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your pod- podcasts, on Google, uh, Podcast Apple, Podcast SoundCloud, and YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.